0: Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. The subject of wages is complex and multifaceted. Many factors affect the rise and fall of wages, and the impact of such factors on the wages of different groups of workers varies. The level of wages is important to the man in the street, as it affects his purchasing power, and hence his standard of living and quality of life. Companies and industries pay close attention to wages because it directly affects their bottom line. Governments and policymakers attach importance to it as the wage level's impact on a country's competitiveness and attractiveness to investors. Professor Hun Hien Taek, who is an associate dean at SMU School of Economics, has been involved in numerous research projects on topics related to macroeconomics, international economics, development, and growth. One of his focus areas of research is wages in Singapore. In this podcast, Professor Hoon shares his insights on how various government measures affect wages and the future of wages in Singapore. Professor, you recently wrote in the Straits Times debunking the commonplace idea that the influx of low-cost foreign labour in the last few years has had an impact on the wages of Singaporean workers. Can you share more with us, please? That article essentially looked at
1: data available from the Manpower Yearbook of Statistics and the Statistics Yearbook. It looked at the years 2002 to 2012. It identified the rate of growth of the non-resident workforce. And then it looked at the monthly gross wages, and it was convenient to include also the employer's CPF contribution, since that's part of employer's wage costs, although that gets into the workers' retirement fund. These are all in what we call nominal terms. But what we are interested in is what the wage can buy for us in terms of actual goods. And therefore, one has to use the consumer price index to offset, so to speak, the effect of inflation. So once you have that, you can generate a plot of both the median worker. There's a worker right at the 50th percentile. And then the data also make available the wage of a worker at the 20th percentile from the bottom. And so when I did this exercise, I noticed that the years 2002 and 2003, actually years when the foreign workforce declined it kind of stayed steady at 2004 and then the big increase really occurred in 2005 2006 and then later 2008 but when you look at the real wages of the median worker you found that it actually was fairly flat in 2003 compared to 2002 it dipped in 2004 and then after that it was a fairly steady increase if you look at the worker at the bottom 20 percent you notice as well that the wage declines occurred in those years the early part of the years when in fact we repatriated foreign workers it, it went down further uh, and then in 2006 onward it became a recovery somewhat to recoup some of the losses in the earlier years so what the data suggests is that um it is not the case that the influx of foreign workers caused the decline of wages of the median worker and the bottom quintile worker. When one looks at another set of statistics, which is the recruitment rate, that is the number of new recruits per firm divided by the current workforce, you find that there was a pickup in the recruitment rate from 2004 or so onward. So, what really that suggests is that the inflow of foreign workers that were at their peak in 2005, 2006 were really a response to improve business sentiments. And it is those years when foreign workers' inflow occurred, at the same time when there were recoveries for our own low-wage workers. What that really suggests is that it's not a simple story of demand supply of workers. What is central in understanding the outcomes of low-wage workers in Singapore is the fact that we have very open economy, open to international capital flow, open to world technology, and that gives us an advantage. When the economy picked up, the capital flowed in, hunting for workers. And that meant that there was increase in foreign workers, but it also pulled up the demand for local workers, improving their wage outcomes uh, in those years when the economy recovered.
0: The Singapore government has been tightening foreign labour supply in recent years to wean local companies off their reliance on foreign labour and to encourage them to grow their businesses by boosting productivity. Will this necessarily help increase the wages of Singaporean workers? Yes, I think
1: that in the medium to long term, this effort to boost productivity will ultimately be beneficial for all our workers, and in particular our workers at the lower end of the income distribution. Ultimately, we need productivity increase to support high and rising real wages, and Productivity increase essentially can come in a couple of ways. One is when you automate together with having workers with improved skill. Because with improved skill and automation, you need fewer workers to generate a particular level of output. I think that the effort such as the Productivity Innovation Credit Scheme, the PIC, has potential to encourage firms to subsidise. We hear the story, for example, of a pharmacy trying to avoid having a situation where customers may walk away because they come in and they find a long queue of people waiting to see the pharmacies they automate they put in a system so that for certain basic questions potential customer could go to their screen enter some necessary data pertaining to the question the customer wants to ask and that potentially can enable the pharmacy uh, to sell more with fewer workers and that raises productivity, and that uh, can help to ultimately raise the earnings of workers. I think the other thing that's important in thinking about what lies behind improved productivity is really a climate and environment of improved innovation. Singapore is at a stage where we increasingly have to encourage more SMEs to rise up, to become innovative. We have had a policy where we rely on MNCs that was very good for our economy because they brought in standard technologies. But we are now at a stage where economies say we are a more mature economy. And in a more mature economy, the grassroots innovation becomes important. In other words, innovation has to filter throughout the economy. And I think that all the concentrated effort on helping our SMEs risk their productivity by either thinking of new processes on new products and then selling these products into the world market will make them be able to sustain a higher demand for workers and therefore be willing to pay our workers more. So ultimately the drive to enable us to have a sustained level of productivity driven a lot by innovation will filter down to the labour force and that gain can therefore be more widespread across the whole segment of our workers.
0: Singapore's Manpower Ministry recently announced measures to ensure that companies here consider Singaporeans fairly in the hiring process. What are the implications on business costs and on the wages of Singaporean workers?
1: So the fair consideration framework is an effort to encourage firms to at least consider local workers. It tries to ensure that we eliminate some very obvious discriminatory practices, such as hiring a person from a particular country, not on the basis of the person's unique set of skills. What the Fair Consideration Framework is doing is that it's also creating a national jobs bank. What that does is that that can help tremendously the ability for a firm to match a desirable worker because workers have the ideal set of characteristics in the job they want and firms look for workers with a particular set of skills, a set of attributes as well. Economists are very familiar with the fact that in the labour market, a lot of search and matching takes place. So in fact, I think that one of the things that can help a firm's lower cost is from the creation of a National Jobs Bank. Because a firm would have to spend money to keep a vacancy empty while it looks for a worker. A National Jobs Bank can substantially reduce the amount of time before you find a match. And because of that, that can potentially enable firms to pass on their their saving because it doesn't have to put up an advertisement for weeks and weeks before it finds its match. And therefore, it is able to boost up its labour demand. And as a consequence of that, uh, pass on some of the savings to workers in the form of higher wage. I think that what we have to ensure though, is that the fair consideration framework continues to maintain a climate where there's very open competition for job slots. One of the things we have to avoid is to reach a point where we feel that we are protecting jobs for a particular segment of workers, mm-hmm. and that can lead to a loss in the drive to always improve yourself in the job because ultimately when you lose that drive to improve yourself in the job, the business is going to find harder to to meet its bottom line and that can lead in the long term to a less dynamic labour market and ultimately a- actually to lower wages. So what we want is a consideration of locals, but one that encourages open competition for job slots. So there's this continual drive to improve myself so that I will be judge as the best person for that particular job slot.
0: In the short to medium term, where do you see the future of wages in Singapore moving towards, particularly for the PMETs and the low-wage workers? I think that uh, there
1: is a shift in the economy uh, with workers increasingly wanting to move into a service sector job. I think that for one group of the PMEs, the financial sector because it is in a region that is booming, can continue to expect to find demand for financial expertise. And therefore, workers at this end can expect to see wages continue to be good and potentially rising. Part of that depends, of course, on how well the developed economies Europe and the US recover. But if they do recover, that would add further stimulus to demand for workers with the financial expertise. On the other hand, the service sector is one that also has a part of it, the retail sector, for example, uh, where the productivity is somewhat low. And therefore, the pace of training that we will uh, need to boost up uh, will be needed to help workers in that particular segment of the service sector. I think for low wage workers, there has been concerted effort to create the idea of a job ladder. In other words, when one takes on a job, there is a a progression in the job specification. And I think that when we can do that in the cleaning sector, in the landscape sector, in the security sector, I think open up more challenging jobs for our workers who may not have a very high level education but can look forward to doing better one rung of the ladder and then move up to a higher rung. In that way, we sort of built in productivity improvement in the course of a low wage worker's job. And that way you can pull up their wages. I think there is concerted effort that we need to pay attention to our workers, especially at the bottom end of the income distribution. I should also mention that the wage credit scheme has the potential when combined with the productivity and innovation credit scheme to further encourage firms to pass on some of the productivity gains in the form of wages. Because if a firm, for example, increases a worker's wage within this three-year period, 2013 to 2015, say it increases the worker's wage by $200, and intends to keep that $200 increase over the three years, the government comes in to foot 40% of that wage increase over these three years. I think that that in combination we drive to increase productivity in the short term, certainly over these next three years, uh, has indeed the potential to lift up the earnings of our low-wage workers.
0: Professor, the ratio of wages of Singaporean workers as a proportion of the country's GDP, or what we call wage share, is low compared to other developed countries. This seems to imply that it's not the worker, but companies who are benefiting from Singapore's economic growth. What is your take on this subject of wage share? So one of the very clear pieces of statistic is that
1: our wage share although relatively low is about 0.42 has been very stable. In, sh- in the short term it fluctuates somewhat but over the longer term it's hovered around 42%. Now, what that really means is that because the wage share has been stable, and the fact that Singapore has transited from third world to first world in a generation has meant that our standard of living rising has also pulled up the real wages. This is not nominal wages. This is wages after you've deflated for cost of living has been rising. In fact, the standard of living has increased over the last 40 years or so by about 10 times. And because the wage share has been fairly stable, that means there has also been substantial improvement in the real wages over this 40-year period. Now, the reality is that certain cyclical factors can affect the rise in the actual real wage. In other words, it's not been a steady climb. In particular, the Asian financial crisis 1998 and the following years of the end of the stock market boom, due to the internet, and SARS caused a period when the real wage was somewhat stagnant. And then in the last number of years as well, we find that there has been unequal outcomes for workers at the different points of the income distribution. I think the thing to bear in mind is that we're looking at a pie, there is an issue of the share of the pie. But perhaps the bigger thing is really how well we can grow the pie. So the Singapore story is one in which although we have a pie and workers by the usual measure takes about 40% of the pie and that 7% goes to indirect taxes and then the rest 50% uh, goes to returns to capital essentially. Uh, The size of the pie has grown tremendously. And I think that our effort in this next stage of our development continues to have to be a focus on how we grow the size of the pie. When we look at the Western European experience, one of the other things that we discover is that when attention is drawn to what is sometimes called the battle of the share, because it's a competition then between the owners of the firm and the workers, it is true that you can push up by bargaining the wage share, and therefore the wage share can go up, but only temporarily. Because over the longer term, the employers would then look for, say, capital, buyers type of technology that would replace the workers. And therefore, the focus over the longer term has to continue to be an effort to grow the size of the pie. That is really the crucial question. Not as much what the number is. Thank you, Professor. Thank you.